What happens to us after we die? Do we cease to exist? Or do we live on? This may be the biggest question that mankind has ever asked. Where do we go when we die? And who is there to greet us? And why? What exactly does it mean to become a spiritual person? Does it consist of following predetermined laws? Or is it a personal journey? These are the types of questions that we will discuss. Welcome to the Regression Session. My name is Ian, and welcome back to The Regression Session. This week, we're going to be hearing from my good buddy, Ashton, who is a practicing witch. He actually identifies it as a death witch, which is kind of cool. If you've had an experience that could come as a near-death experience, a past-life experience, um, like a spiritual awakening, anything like that, if you just want to come on the show and talk about your spiritual views or your religious views, whatever, I want to hear from you. Shoot me an email. My email is theregressionsession at gmail.com. So let's just move right into this week's interview. Hey, Ashton, thanks for coming on to the show. Yeah. <laughs> for the audience, Ashton is a practicing witch who dabbles in magic. And Dab- the- dabbles is not dabbles does not i've been doing this for 12 years i think i'm past the dabble point <laughs> so what what exactly is dabble though dabbles like the teenage girl that uh buys a pack of tarot cards hangs out with them for like three months and then just abandons all just abandons the whole concept that's dabbling in witchcraft would it be like if i went out and bought like a ouija board and just kind of messed around with it for a minute and then... And then just never touched it again. Yeah. Yeah, that's dabbling. Or if you, like, read one single book regarding witchcraft and, like, did two spells, that's dabbling in witchcraft. <laughs> so so Ashton is an advanced dabbler. That sounds like I should be, like, some kind of painter. <laughs> well, I, I've known Ashton. We're, we're friends. And um, I'd, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show. Um, I would. I'm just curious about this whole thing because I this whole podcast is about um, different spiritual views and um, like different ways that we view the world. Um, and I know that like witchcraft and and magic is is a. It's just like essentially a different way to look at the world. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of spiritualities attached to it. I, I don't practice any of them. So before it gets all like weird, I'm not Wiccan. I'm not really pagan. I This is strictly like a practice. It's it's still very much a spirituality for me, but the craft is a, incredibly 
personal experience for everyone that follows it. Everyone kind of like figures out their own paths and uh, does their own thing and finds their own way. And that's what's so unique about it. So it's not a religion. There are religions within it, but it's it's finding your own religion at the end of the day. Yeah. So the the way that I usually describe religion, especially on this podcast, is like people will try to take their entire world and and every a lot of a lot of religions will take a, like everybody else's world and try to stuff it inside of a different size box. They'll have you you have to take your world and fit it inside a box, but witchcraft and the the associated religions is more like finding your own size box. It's more like existing outside of the boxes. We are the library that the boxes are within. Ooh, that's very interesting. <laughs> that's that that was deep. Uh witchcraft is at its roots, it is the base of every religion. Um magic the practice itself uh is found in some way, shape, or form in every religious context known to man. Uh, The symbology and the intention behind it uh, appeals to a part of our brain, like a very instinctual, very primal part of our brain uh, that reacts to psychodrama. Uh, The kind of enacting your emotion and uh, putting that intention out into the world in some way uh, through theatrics and through symbolism and it unlocks capabilities within you that otherwise would have been left untapped does that yes that makes sense to me okay do you just kind of rewinding just a little bit do you have any examples that you know of off the top of your head where this kind of stuff like like if you if you knew both sides of the story you could see the comparison in one religion of like this is clearly practiced in witchcraft and you can see a direct representation of this in X religion. Catholicism, uh, actually. So when somebody who is Catholic wants to say a prayer or, or put out like a, a petition of sorts for someone that they care about, they'll light a candle um, and they, they'll put it out with a little snuffer. Uh, it, it's symbolic. It's It's an actual taking physical action to represent a desire of some kind now given that this is done within a context of a christian religion but it's still the same idea because when i light a candle for good luck or prosperity or you know just to to lift my mood i'm not necessarily asking for god's help i'm just like i'm unlocking that part of my brain so so you're asking yourself for help or the universe, depending on my mood. <laughs> gotcha. So, so there, it's not like a you're not asking a, an authority figure, yeah, for help. You're more just like allowing help to come in, maybe, or like removing blockages that may interfere. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, like clearing. I get. I understand what you're saying. Uh, spell work and and like witchcraft itself. It's kind of a way to simplify the path between yourself and what you're trying to accomplish. Kind of expedites the process. Okay, I got you there. So, you know, tell me tell me a little bit about 
like how you ended up getting into this? Have you always believed in witchcraft and magic and things like that? I think I've always believed in it in some way, shape or form. Um, but I was raised LDS, uh, as you know, as a person. Um, but as a kid, I, I was very drawn to the world around me, to nature. Um, I collected crystals even before I knew that they could be used for anything. And I still carried them around because I felt like they helped keep me calm. As an adult, I realize now I carried around a rose quartz and an amethyst, which are like kind of the bro, you got to chill kind of rocks. Um, but I've, I've always been drawn to it as, as a kid, I came from a pretty household, um, pardon the French there, but, uh, I used magic unintentionally at first to help me get out of my situation. Uh, there was a river that I would walk past every single day on my way to school and I would throw a rock in there and I would ask for like, get me out of this thing right now. Um, it took a while, but the symbolism of the action that I was taking kind of paved the path that I would use to eventually escape my scenario. Um, when I was about 13, I was removed from the home, which, you know, that's a good thing. I promise. But I was still in a very, very toxic situation and I wanted to get back at the, at my abuser, so to speak. So I, I looked at different ways that I could do so. Now, with the person in question being six foot six and four hundred pounds, not a whole lot of competition with an eight, or with a thirteen year old, right? Yeah. So I, I I found myself drawn to cursing, and I wrote a curse um, for essentially three nights of it's called three nights of hell, uh, and the whole point of the curse is to essentially r- release horrible nightmares on someone. Uh, and and keep them from sleeping for three days to really unfold the severity of their actions upon them. And the only reason that I know that it worked is I was still talking to one of my parents at the time who was still with my abuser, and that parent confided in me when they weren't supposed to uh, that the other parent was having problems sleeping and was sweating and screaming and Oh yeah, it felt good. So it actually worked? It actually worked. And that's, from that point on, I was absolutely like, this is my sh- or this is my thing. And uh, this is, like, this is for me. After that, I, I kind of looked into Wicca, which is typically what people associate with witchcraft. Uh, it's it's very, it's very heteronormative um, and, and incredibly transphobic when, when you get to the nitty gritty of it. Plus, there's there's a lot of gods and deities. There's a god and a goddess, and everything's like a dual and dynamic, and it's it's very ritualistic, and it's it's a religion. But after kind of learning and following that path for a while, I, I branched off and I started doing my own thing. So I've done research into everything from Buddhism to Satanism, uh, ceremonial magic, chaos magic. Uh, crystals, tarot, I can tell you what herbs to help you with a cold. Uh, like I said, it's it's, it's been about 12 years. 
<laughs> gotcha. Yeah, that's that's cool. So so you're you're very knowledgeable, but you're you're almost like more of like general magic practice versus one discipline. Actually, yes. Um, I do have a, a particular, I'm going to call it a skill set. Um, and I consider myself a death witch, which actually, to me, I've got a, a very strong connection with the spirit world, um, as well as I feel that it is my calling to help people through situations where they feel like they are dying. Uh, super traumatic events, uh, kind of your life been your life has been turned upside down. I, I I help people walk through that with with my practice and with my craft, and I offer solace to people who are experiencing a living death. So so people that not necessarily you're not walking them. Um, like for example, like nobody dies alone, like that kind of a thing where you're walking people through the process of death itself, but like helping them out back into life. Does that make, does that make question make sense? You're not, you're not helping people die. You're helping people live again. Okay. Yes. Just to clarify. Um, cause there's programs out there where people will like, like counsel people from transitioning from being alive where like say for example like terminal terminal illnesses people will like sit there and counsel these people from like okay you're alive you've been alive they help them through the whatever stages of grief and then eventually come to acceptance with the fact they're going to die and then they'll actually sit with them at while they're dying and see i've i've been in that situation I have been at someone's deathbed. I have walked, given my whole family was there, but I've I've held someone's hand as they passed away. Um, I communicate very regularly with family and friends that have passed. Uh, they're they're a very normalized part of my life, and it's more so though. Say you came out of a very abusive situation. You've you've hit rock bottom you are in a way like you feel like you died. We go through a lot of those periods within our lives and it is very difficult to get out of that situation alone. But it's it's symbolic of being reborn and where you reconstruct your life from the ground up and you start over. And that's part of what my my skill set applies to as well is, is guiding people through that dark part and getting them to the other side, so to speak. Gotcha. And is that does that just come from like experience navigating those difficult situations yourself, or is it like a natural calling? Do you think? Probably both. <laughs> I've been in a lot of those situations, but also I was able to get out of them, and I was able to trust my intuition and my gut, and it got me out. So probably both. Uh, my my coven is called the Before Dawn Coven, uh, because we are we all kind of have that neck. We guide you through that part where you feel like you've lost everything, and we want to help people rebuild after they've air quote died. So so tell me a little bit about covens in general. 
like ex- explain that whole concept it's because in every in every religion right because for for lack of a better term we can call witchcraft a religion yeah that's right? fair so if we if we refer to witchcraft as a religion you 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 claim to be outside of the the outside of the different religions that are supposed to be outside of religion so you're like extra outside but you still have similarities where you're you still have a congregation right your your congregation would be the coven so so tell me a little bit about that whole concept and you know what is a coven for what is it what does it do what's the purpose so there are different kinds uh especially if you if you really get into uh the pagan aspects because there are people who follow deities there are people who follow specific traditions there are are groups that uh you know they will initiate you when i say coven i mean like three people who share spells like recipes <laughs> okay it's it's it gotcha. sounds like it sounds like a whole congregation it's not it's like we haven't even really been able to hang out yet as a group, but we share information and that's really more warmer. We are more solitary practitioners than anything that just so happen to know other solitary practitioners. So, so a coven is more like, like a club. Yeah. Okay. It's like a book club <laughs> or, or, or like a, a bunch of, uh, people just again like sharing recipes that's the only way i can explain it (laughs) we don't even all follow the same practice like uh again i don't worship anything i don't it's it's not for me i don't summon any deities i'm not working with artemis and and serenos and whoever the hell have you um but i have spent time with people who worship like the wiccan goddess who is an embodiment of every goddess ever. And that's like, okay, that's, that's good for you. You, that's your cup of tea. So are there some covens that are like, like, like really big and almost like a, an organized religion where, where they're pretty big and, and they, they, like you were saying, they do follow like a creed or. Yeah, there's tons of them. I just don't know where they are. Cause I live in, yeah well um okay that's fair have you heard of like any massive ones like what's the biggest coven you've ever heard of coven i have no idea but like think of it like like individual churches it's just a congregation uh most people traditionally a coven can't be more than 13 people because there's 13 moons in a year but i mean there are entire barbecue type families that consider themselves covens and they're probably 20 30 people and it's just like three or four families hanging out grilling together and doing bonfires okay gotcha so there's no like there's there's like some there's like rules and then there's not really rules it's like perceived rules i guess depends on who you're with Again, it's it's an incredibly personal experience. You can't you can't sort witchcraft into boxes, really, because all religions practice it in some way, shape, or form. They they all 
they all depend on that psycho psychodramatic release to help put people in positions where they can take power for themselves. It's just sometimes they rely on higher figures. And essentially we just took the 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 practices themselves because we saw the power within the practices and we're applying them to our lives. Sometimes with a religion to 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 pair it to, sometimes without. So so how long have the practices of witchcraft actually been around? Or are you even able to track that back? There's always been some kind of magic. Uh, when people, like Paleolithic people, were hunting and gathering, they would often enact and, and uh, not enact, act out the process of tracking uh, tracking prey and hunting them down and bringing them home. And that was a form of what's called sympathetic magic, where you act out whatever your desire is in a symbolic way to enable you and enable your group further to be able to accomplish that thing. Uh, it, but also it's, it's, it's everything from like wearing your lucky socks to stirring your coffee a certain way. You can you can place a symbolic meaning into anything and everything that you do. And that is exactly what magic is. So so is there any like spell book that you have to follow certain spell rules or is it, so it's literally just anything that you attach a meaning to? There's correspondences, but I mean we already see them throughout our lives constantly. Green is is technically not technically. Green is is good for for growth, for financial gain, for luck. Blue is the color that we associate with calmness and with serenity and cleansing. Red is typically angry and fiery and and protective and and it, uh, it tells us to stop and and take a look at a situation. Every color has a meaning and we already use them. Uh, same goes for like crystals. Certain crystals might have certain associations with them, uh, like Labradorite being a, like an energy battery or quartz being kind of a, a, a multi-purpose tool. Uh, amethyst being very soothing, very calming, but also opening up your third eye and helping you with divination. There are recommendations, but there are no rules unless you follow a religion with it. Wiccan, Wiccans tend to say uh, there, there's a Wiccan read. And basically it, it means don't harm anything or anyone, including yourself. But aside from that, do whatever the hell you want. That's a pretty good rule. I mean, yeah. I think. Um, but to add on to that, part of the reason I'm not Wiccan is that rule kind of keeps us from cursing. And right. uh, you, there were a lot of people story. that deserve it. Your origin story is uh, a, a curse. curse. Yeah. I was actually talking to my neighbor about it. My neighbor is a, is a Wiccan. And uh, I don't get a lot of people to talk about magic with because I get looked at weird. <laughs> but I was talking to her about it and she goes, oh, you sent out your soul on a, a horribly terrible vengeance mission and you can never get that back. It's like, bitch, I'm fine. 
<laughs> I'm a really good person. He's a terrible one. He deserved every second of that nightmare. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's that's interesting. Because, you know, I, 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 I came into this knowing nothing. I know nothing about uh, witchcraft, spell spellcraft, uh, Wiccanism, paganism. I know nothing. So all of this is just completely new info to me, and it's really fascinating. You know, earlier, I, I want to kind of circle back to, like, spells and magic and stuff like that. Yeah. Because um, I know that you have a lot of really interesting theories, and I think that those, I think that people would really like to hear them. But let's earlier you mentioned to me that you, you have a strong connection to like nature and the spirit world. Yes. Tell me a little bit about, about what you meant by that. So the only thing that I can do is really give an example. Um, I have a couple of friends who died very young. Uh, we're talking 17 or not even 17. He was like 15. Uh, Joe was 15 and my buddy Cody was 19. They, they both died incredibly young and very tragic deaths. Uh, one of them happened to pass away while he was uh, skateboarding home. And I have worked with him after he's died. Uh, he actually came to me in a dream at an IHOP wearing a Marilyn Manson shirt and he, he had his lips pierced. Um, he had two blue lip rings in. I found out later that that is what he was buried in. I did not go to his funeral. I had not seen him in a few years. And I found out through a mutual friend that, that, that he had passed away because uh, he was hit by a car. Well... He he came to me in that dream, and he just started talking to me. He was like, God, that came out of nowhere, man. I I was just trying to get home. It was actually pretty traumatic, and it hurt really bad. Uh, and the next thing I know, I'm looking at myself from, like, standing three feet away. And the car was still driving away. They They've never found who hit him. Um, it was, it was a stolen car. It was a whole situation. Anyway, um, he just sat with me and we drank coffee in an IHOP in my dream and he paid because apparently there's dream money, I guess. Um, <laughs> he paid and he looked at me and he goes, it's been really nice to talk to somebody who gets it. And he left. And every time that I am traveling alone and I'm unsure of my situation or I feel unsafe, I ask him to walk with me. And he does. Like, I can literally smell his axe. It's crazy. I don't wear, like, spray axe, specifically the blue oh, one. the cologne. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He smells like blue axe. I shit you not. And he'll, he'll, he stands right next to me. Um, he used to hang out in my bedroom when I was in high school. And I would feel him sit on the side of the bed next to me. And I had an iPod touch that the screen was broken, but it had about 1500 songs on it. And I couldn't do like, I couldn't pick anything. And it was just constantly loaded onto the dock because otherwise, like, what am I supposed to do? I can't, I can't control it 
without the doc. And he would actually change the music. He would, it was only ever when I could smell him and I could like feel him next to me. And he would switch around my music. He actually still hangs out there and he's freaked out my little brother more than once. (laughs) Because my little brother has my old room now. So is he like haunting that house kind of? No, he just, uh, I, I invited him to spend time there. And he likes my parents' house. He still goes wherever the hell he wants. People think that that spirits are trapped to a location. They aren't. Unless they were connected to that location in life and passed away in a very violent manner at that location, and it 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 kind of throws them through a loop where they don't understand that they're dead, that's one thing. They might stick around if that's the case. But he knew. He's always known. Like I said, he watched himself die. So what? what's stopping him from, like, I guess, moving on? That's actually something that I'm on the fence about because I have no idea. And I also have no idea what comes after this. Because I, I have a feeling that we hang out and we, like, keep an eye on things. Um, I also think that that maybe the memory of somebody preserves their their keeps their spirit intact for a while. But I also have a a theory that pairs with it that eventually we decompose spiritually and our energy goes into other things and becomes parts of other people. But I also think that that retaining the memory of someone prevents that decay. And and just lets them stick around for a while. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's fascinating. That does make sense. So I, I would like to kind of dig dig our heels in in this a little bit because because this is kind of like the origin of my podcast is talking about what happens to us after we die. So you know, it's really interesting that you think or that you you have this theory where essentially like a spiritual decomposition theory where people will just kind of like their their spiritual or their souls will kind of break apart and maybe get thrown together in a new soul so a new soul is creating new memories but also retains memories that from past lives that you didn't necessarily live so you still lived it but it it was only a part of what you've experienced um Part of that theory is higher vibration energy, so so more positive energy, will conglomerate in more positive lifetimes, um, and and essentially become a, a more a, a better person. Whereas negative energy is going to conglomerate together in a negative lifetime, so to speak. I have no way of proving this theory. It is it's evolved throughout the f- last few years. But essentially, like, the better of a person you are, the better the next life is going to be, if that's what actually happens. And, I mean, breaking apart, you you can have spiritual memories of past lives. I completely buy into the validity of past life experiences. I just, I feel like we we are made up of other past lives as well, that maybe have all lived at the same time, which is why we all have... Like there could be like six Marilyn Monroes for all we know, you know? It's interesting that you say that, that Marilyn Monroe thing. I recently just did a past life regression with someone who had like, we they never actually said Marilyn Monroe. 
or talked about her, but it was like they were talking about how they they knew that they were a famous actress. They knew that um they had to live their life like being in a facade or like a an act essentially. And the only thing we were able to see was a daydream of that life. And in the daydream, there was they were just in like away from everything, like deep in a forest in a shack with like a bed and a sink and like a mirror. There's like a like a dirt floor cabin. And on the on the wall, there was a calendar that said 1962. It was August night or June or August 1962. And that's actually when Marilyn Monroe had died. So there was a lot of different clues to that. Um, so I, I kept getting the feeling that maybe it was Marilyn Monroe, but there's a million people out there exactly. that are like, oh, I was Marilyn Monroe. So your theory, actually, I really like your theory. I, I don't necessarily buy into it yet because I, I haven't seen any evidence. And traditionally, I'm a science guy. Yeah, and I'm 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 kind of the same way. It's It's like... I could be completely wrong, and I if I'm told that and I'm proven that, I will totally change that opinion. This is just from what I see and from what I've learned. Yeah, I, I've and I've never heard anybody talk about that, and it's really interesting because, um, it's like it's just nature, right? Everything decomposes and everything goes back into the environment. Exactly, the circle of life. And right? energy cannot be created nor destroyed; it is simply transferred. Right. And, and that, that's it, like, it just blows my mind. That whole theory that like, um, we could be essentially like, a uh, what, what do you call it? It's like, a the word I'm looking for is, uh, like where you cut pieces out of a magazine and then you, we are collages, collages. Yeah. Like people. a collage of other people. Exactly. And that's where all these past lives are, are coming from. So technically you did live past life. So like, a lot of people, for example, say they remember being um, that the, the the most famous Egyptian queen. I can't remember her name. Cleopatra. Yeah, but a lot of people were like, "I was Cleopatra." So, if with your theory, all they they all could have been Cleopatra. I mean, I'm sure some of them are full of hot garbage. yeah but i'm sure there's there's a few that are probably legitimate and fully believe with every fiber of their being that they're right and who am i to tell them that they're wrong you know i actually i am convinced that a part of what makes up my spirit body is a part of what made edgar Allan poe i have a very strong affinity to crows and corvids uh i am actually convinced that i'm gonna die at 40 um I have no idea why. I just, I feel it in my bones for some reason. Uh, I, I've, I've always been connected to the way that he writes and the way that, that he speaks. And it, it almost, it, it's like I, it's like a part of me is, is looking in a mirror, but most of me isn't. And, and again, I, I don't know if I'm right, but it would be kind of cool. Well, how do you, how would you prove it? You can't. And that's the biggest problem that like science has with this, this whole, this whole concept. Exactly. A couple episodes ago, I talked about how, 
there's a huge ethical question with past life regressions. Like there, there's actual accredited medical organizations that condemn it as a practice because they say that it, that there's no proof of past lives, reincarnation, past life memories, so on and so forth. And so they think that what people are doing when they're doing these past life regressions is creating delusions or creating false memories in people. And, and they say that it's incredibly damaging psychologically. I disagree personally if it's done the right way, but there is a risk. And so, you know, that's the big issue that people have is they think that, that these hypnotists are just implanting memories. And I mean, I'm sure there are some quacks that are. Yeah, absolutely there are. Yeah, I'm, a I'm fact. with anything, with any kind of practice or profession, there's always going to be the guy that is the reason the rule exists. You know, there's always going to be that, that one person that ruins it for everyone else. Ed and Lorraine Warren for ghost hunters. That's a big one. Uh, I have a problem with the Warrens. That's just me. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's let's rewind. Let, let's let's pause here for a second. What's your beef with Ed and Lorraine Warren? They have several Hollywood blockbuster horror movies that are based off of them. Anytime any kind of spiritual experience happens and torments a family, Ed and Lorraine Warren would swoop in, take all the credit, and usually make the situation worse. If you look into the story behind, like, the, uh, not the Amityville house, the other one, the British one. The one that is in the second. The one in the second Conjuring second movie. There's Conjuring. a true story behind that, obviously. Yeah, I, I've done I've done a lot of research into this kind Enfield. of stuff. Enfield. That's the yep, name yep, of it. the Enfield house. The Enfield house. If you look into that, the entire family hated the Warrens. They're just, they're Catholic superheroes that buy into their own con, and they make they make lives very very difficult for other people i guess that if you do look at it it is kind of exploitative like it is. they use people's suffering to get famous yeah and i have a problem with that like i've i've done my my time or i've done my share of paranormal experiences and exorcisms and i've i've legitimately channeled a demon into a bottle it was a whole thing but i wouldn't advertise that I'm only using it now because I'm I'm trying to relay that they don't need that fame, they don't need that fortune, they don't need to go off and and profit off of someone's suffering because these spirits and these experiences ruined these people's lives. I have beef with them. Okay. Yeah, they <laughs> did ruin their lives. Them. They they ruined their lives socially. Yeah. For one thing, like they're like, "Oh, those are the freaks that got haunted." Yeah. Right. And they lo- they ruined their lives at the home because they just made the whatever was in there mad. Yeah, you piss it off. <laughs> and who does it who does it have to take out its frustrations on? The family that lives there. And, well, Ed, Ed and Lorraine Warren just kind of peace out. Yeah. It's I I have <laughs> Having said that, I love the Conjuring movies. I think they're cool. They're high quality entertainment. They are. Um I just the real people give me they make me want to drop kick babies. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I would never hurt children for the record. You know that, but people might not know that. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, I never thought about it. Like I kind of have moved on from like the whole ghost conversation. 
and and stuff like that but it, it is kind of a part of this conversation of like spirituality and what happens to you after you die too it has to be i don't know i think i've told you i've, I've mentioned it in previous episodes for anybody who's listened to them but in in previous episodes i've talked about taylor who i've regressed several times and the little ghost girl that essentially inhabited her body and said i'm not one of taylor's past lives i've been wandering earth for like 200 ish years and what do you do with that yeah you know what i mean like in the middle of a, of a past life regression that's supposed to be someone remembering their own past lives they literally are like i'm not a past life i just came here because i was invited here so first of all how were they invited there? Cause I didn't invite them and Taylor didn't invite them. And then in the middle of the session, Taylor says her spirit guide is pulling on a, on a string that's attached to this girl's back trying to get her out of there. It was a wild experience. That sounds pretty weird. It, it was weird. It, it was strange. I've only, that's the only time it's ever happened. And I hope it doesn't happen again, but it was really weird because she said that she didn't want to leave us. She said she didn't want to get, she didn't want to leave. She wanted to stay in Taylor's body because she was scared to go back out there because she said that there's a lot of people just wandering in a haze. Yeah. And they just kind of like bump into each other and then just kind of like look at each other for a second. They're like, Oh, uh, and then just keep on walking. But then there's things that are conscious that like to chase other conscious things if that's legit that wouldn't surprise me but that's also terrifying to think about i know and that's why that's why i was like okay you need to go and i said try to find some kind of a spirit guide because she told me that she was looking for a mountain she said that she'd been wandering and all she could think about was she was looking for a mountain and she hadn't been able to find it and i was like is a mountain like maybe like a a symbolism for, for something like, cause I, I told her to try to find a spirit guide and she was like a spirit guide, huh? Well, we didn't even have that as a concept back when I was alive. So I never even thought to look for one. And I said, I'm sure if you ask someone for help, you could find some help, but you can't stay with Taylor and or me or in this house. You can't stay here. You've got to go, but try to find someone to help you. I wonder if I could, Completely, like, unrelated, but you and I just have a separate conversation about that because I'm wondering if maybe I could find this girl, detach her from whatever's holding her back, and kind of lead her to the other end of, of whatever she's trying to find. I've never heard of a mountain before. I've never had any of, of my ghost buddy. I call them my ghosts because that's essentially what they are, but I've never had any of my ghosts talk about anything like that. But then again, none of them have been dead that long. Yeah, they're, so so here's what happened to her. And I haven't talked about this because it's really, I I seriously was like really upset about it. It really, it really, it really affected me because she said that she was just living her life. She was 11 years old about when she died and she was sleeping in her house one night and um, her dad climbed up. Her dad had, because they, you know how like in, in old, eight, she died in the 1800s. Loft. Loft, yeah, like the loft bed. Yeah. Her dad climbed up there in the middle of the night, but then she realized it wasn't her dad, and it was a man, and he just stabbed her. Oh. 
like right in the throat. And she just died right there and then left. There was no reasoning. She had done nothing. She just went to school, came home that day, had supper, and the guy came in and, and killed her. She American? Yep, in Oklahoma. Huh. I think. I'll have to talk to Taylor to get more details. But but yeah, so it was like the I got super serial killer vibes. Yeah, off that, of that. that definitely sounds like a serial killer. And I'm wondering um, if we can actually get in touch with this kid and ask her what happened and if she recognizes the face at all or if she can process like the, the she didn't she said she didn't see a face so it's it's traumatic experiences like that like what happened with my friend uh oftentimes they'll watch themselves they just unless they're like him they don't like to talk about it she said that she said that she ended up after she, he he killed her he said that she shot sideways out of her body mm-hmm. and landed on the floor and then just stayed there for a while, but it became too painful because her dad woke up from her, her little, it's really, I hate talking about it because it's so horrible, but she, like, I, I don't know why Taylor would just make this up. I, I don't. Yeah. Taylor it's... is a very kind hearted, tender hearted person. She's a very sweet, caring person. And I don't think that she would make something like this up. Just for me, I know Taylor very, very well for a long, long time, most of my life. And and I don't think that she would make something like this up because she's a very kind-hearted person. And it's just it, was very, it was very vivid. And she said that, like, I hate talking about this, and I've never talked about it on the show because it's just difficult. So her little, they were, she was sleeping next to her younger brother who was like six. And her little brother woke up and started screaming because his sister was dead. And bleeding. And, well, yeah, dead. There's blood everywhere. And her dad came in, and she was watching this. Her dad came in, and he was just complete. They had no idea what happened. They have no. They never caught the guy. But he snuck in their house at night killed the girl, left the brother and everybody else alone and left. Never caught the guy. Her dad was just inconsolable because I was his little girl. Like, yeah, she, she was talking the whole session about how she's like, I love my daddy. I love my daddy and my daddy loves me. And like, it was just like, I almost, it was so hard for me to not cry. And even like talking about it right now is just really, if like, it's really sad. It's really heavy. It's a really heavy feeling, but um, that's what happened. And she said that she tried to stay with her family and she just couldn't because her, it was like you just her, watch everything well, her, apart. her hanging around, I think probably like you, I think that they could probably sense her that she was still there and it was just bringing them down. And so she had to just move on, but there was no closure. A lot of the times with, with these sessions, the previous personality will like to go back for a minute and, and watch an important moment to try to get some closure and, and get one last brief moment with their loved ones or the most important person in their life for an important moment though. Wait, hold on. Um, I'm not trying to like stomp on you. I've had that happen, but it wasn't mine. Um, okay. So just for 
just for context, I've had this happen maybe four times my entire life, but I have been in situations where, uh, specifically the one that's coming to my head is I was on a, a, a car ride uh, from a camping trip in Wyoming with my ex-girlfriend and the canyon that we were driving through. I mean, it's the, it's the only road. It's a canyon road. It's the only way to get from point A to point B. And there was a huge car accident. Somebody rolled off the canyon, like complete, they were spraying the blood off the freaking asphalt kind of car accident. So traffic was held up for about two hours. And when the ex and I drove past the location, I got a very, very vivid experience of watching a brunette woman in a white dress with a wet, like a red waist ribbon walking down the aisle of a, like a burgundy and pink wedding. And I remember just feeling like, oh my God, this is the greatest moment of my life. She's so beautiful. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with this woman. And it snapped and it flipped and it turned into, I'm holding hands with this girl. She has our wedding colors on her nails, like with the, the glittery, like French tip designs. I could even draw it out to this day. We're holding hands over the console of a car and we're listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers and we crash. And I don't remember anything after that. So I legitimately have had this happen with four different spirits my whole life, one of which is actually one of the spirits that haunts a, a historical location near us, uh, the, uh, the train station. Hmm. I've watched, like, I've hugged a, a small child in my arms, given her a piece of candy out of my pocket and said, bye, sweetheart, I'll see you for dinner. And then I'm, like, walking along the 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 what's it called the place where you get on and off the train platform platform walking across the platform it still smells like smoke because the entire thing recently went through a fire and i'm walking toward my station because i'm a ticket taker and i i just i i hear a creak the wind blows and i i watch a clock tower right here and then nothing wow so that, yeah, that's, that's weird. And I've talked to some other, <clears throat> I call them practitioners. Fair. <laughs> I call them practitioners of past, past life regression. I've talked to some other pa past life regression practitioners and I have never, to be fair, I haven't talked to that many. I would like to. So if you're a past life practitioner, please reach out to me. I want to talk to you about this, but it makes me wonder if, I have this, I have my own theory. Okay. I have what I call the four party regression theory where essentially there's four parties present, not all of them. I don't think that all of them do this. Okay. But I think that sometimes there's some kind of an energy link between like either the person that's doing the regressions has a unique energy or there's a conduit of energy that's created of some kind or something like that that draws in these people and they're visitors. So the four-party regression theory is that there's four parties present sometimes and that's the practitioner, the patient or the subject, Sorry. the spirit guide. Because every time this has happened, there's been a guide. Yes. 
And then the fourth is what I call the visitor. And that's what that little girl would be, is the visitor. And I think that my brother had a, had one of these visitors. His name was Breck Stevens. Because every time... I think Taylor had two of them. I think she had a World War II soldier and then the little girl, right? The World War II soldier asked me if he could go back and say goodbye to his family. And and he he did. And he I let him stay there for a minute and say goodbye to his family and hug his wife and kiss his boy. And then I said, okay, well, it's time for you. It's time to bring Taylor back. And then with my, my brother, he wanted to go back and watch his little girl play on a, a toy set that he saved a lot of money to buy. And he, he sat there and then he literally was like, well, time to man up. Might as well move on. And he moved on. So this little girl, she didn't actually have a moment to get any closure because she was so young. Her life was so short and she was just thrown onto the floor and then she just started wandering. Yeah, it's it's incredibly traumatic um, with that kind of situation because you're you're ripped from your existence. You don't know. And it's it's kind of fascinating that she remembers and especially at such a young age it's kind of fascinating that she remembers what happened and she can explain to to you or to visitor not visitors uh practitioners uh like you or like myself the situation in which she died but having wandered around for like 200 years that's that's a lot of time uh that that's time that you and I can't even really process because we are alive. And so the theory that she's existed on this planet for, you know, theoretically 211 years, and most of that she's just wandering. I wonder how many people are also in that situation that... She told me that they are everywhere. Like, you can't walk anywhere without without running into... like, Like, for example, like, the road... She said that anywhere you go, the roads are completely filled with people. Just constantly. And I, I, she even used the word ghosts. And here's something. Here's another little tidbit of information. She was going through Taylor's memories. Too. Yeah. She was like, she was laughing at cars. She thought cars were hilarious. Yeah. People, these, these spirits will sift through it because this is the closest thing to life that they get. And she she was laughing she she was laughing at cars because she thought that it was just so funny that people drive around in boxes, on wheels. That's and adorable. She, I know it was, she was so cute. I really wish that there was a way that I could have helped her. But she was laughing at cars and she thought it was awesome that we could fly in planes. And she's like, I didn't. She used the words, I didn't know what a movie was until now, but it's like this movie. And she referenced a movie. She's like, I learned that from Taylor's memories. How cool. It was crazy. It was yeah. creepy too. It was really creepy. Well, the thing with child spirits is they're still, they're kids and they're incredibly curious and they just want to learn about the world around them. Yeah, because I they, agree. Because that, that part of themselves, they never got to, they never got to experience uh, they they didn't get to climb trees and scrape knees and and learn oh hey fire hurts if you touch it, 
Uh, they, they didn't get those those coming of age movies or that first kiss. So child spirits specifically, because I've dealt with a few of them, they'll go through your head, they'll sift through your memories like they're going through a library book. And they'll look at all the pictures and they'll say, that is so cool. And it's it's a very wholesome experience. But yeah, it is it is kind of freaky if you're not used to it because you're like, bro, like stay out of that. That's that's not for you. That was that was the last regression that Taylor said she would ever do. She said that she'll never she's done. It's pretty invasive. She said she'll never do it. Well, the thing is is it happened with the World War II soldier, but he was just kind of indifferent. He was just trying to because I thought you know, I, I'm kinda having to I've kinda had to learn to see when these when these visitors are there so that I can approach it a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. But I thought that the World War II soldier was one of her past lives, but he was sifting through Taylor's memories. But the thing is, is when these, when these visitors were sifting through her memories, they, the spirit guide was right there over, like over their shoulder watching them. Yeah. It's a, and that's, and that's fascinating to me too, because there was supervision and that's why there's four parties. And when I look at spirit guides, I, personally based off my experience and my interaction i look at them as a separate order or separate organization of beings i don't necessarily think that they're just your higher self i have a spirit guide i have no idea what it actually is i've told you about it um it's just an entity constantly just out of my peripheries uh in in the shape of a vaguely humanoid figure is it always on one side or the other it's usually out of my bad eye which it could be astigmatism but also if i like if i look this way it's still there um it's it's just it's stopped me from getting into a lot of bad situations it has walked with me through meditations it has helped me develop my craft and it has helped me spot uh a f- phony quack type witches from a mile away. Uh, I had a lady talk to me about how, because I've mentioned this this entity before. It has no name. I think it's a guy. I don't know. Typically, from what I've heard from some other, like, people who claim to be, you know, allegedly psychic. Yeah. Um, they say that, and, and you can see this in Reiki, apparently, like Reiki meditation, it teaches this, supposedly. I haven't done too much research into it. I'm going to. I only know a little bit of Reiki. Yeah, I'm going to. It's really interesting. But apparently if it always hangs out on the right side, it's masculine energy. And if it's always on the left, it's feminine. And um, that can indicate like they are masculine or it can indicate that it's from like the paternal side. So it could be like a family member from the paternal side or something. So I I actually have no idea. Yeah, I know. The only but... thing that I know that it isn't is because of this lady because she turned to me one day after I explained what this entity is. She holds up her hands and she does like the whole theatrics with it while we're out smoking on a break at work. And uh she goes, "This is a very old spirit. Uh he was a he was a crusader. He was a knight." Uh, he, he's, he's from your family line. Didn't say which side now that I'm, now that you mention it, didn't say what side. Uh, but he was, you know, he was a Templar knight. He was this, that, and the other thing goes off on this whole thing, how he was from the 1400s. And I just see the entity out of the side of my head or the side of my vision, so to speak, uh, like put his head 
in his hand and like shake his head. And the vibe I got was like, this woman is so full of garbage. Yeah, that's that's funny. <laughs> but it's like, that's the only thing that I know that he's not. And what's so interesting is I feel like I shouldn't ask him. And I, I'm never going to ask him because I'm not sure that I care enough to know. But also it's going to sound weird it's not my business you know i think that if he wanted you to know he'd, he'd tell you yeah i mean yeah he knows my thoughts he knows my experiences so the fact that i don't know is probably for a reason yeah and i agree with that and i can't actually deny the existence of spirit guides and i know that there's there's some people that would listen to this show and like this guy's nuts I, I don't believe everything everybody tells me. I don't buy into every single little thing that everyone says, but I respect it. Yeah. Okay? But the one thing that I cannot and will not deny is the existence of these, of these beings. And cause I've interacted with them. They've, I've interacted with them and, and, and they're not, they are not the people that, that I am regressing. And, you know, we could just chalk that up to saying like, oh, you know, they're making it up. They're they're in their subconscious mind and they're making it up. But that, then there's the whole ca- caveat of like people are describing things that they have no knowledge of and they're right. They're describing things that are real and that they have no knowledge of. Like obscure, my friend described an obscure African tribe and he described everything about it. And he was right. He pulled up pictures and he's like, this is what I saw. And he had no knowledge. So that kind of throws the whole scientific argument of like, this is all horse out the window. And I kind of forget where I was going with this, but I can't, I can't deny that the spirit guides exist because I know they do. Yeah. And it's the thing about, about magic and about energies and about, what we consider pseudosciences, they're pseudo because we can't prove them, but we also can't disprove them. So who are we to say that they don't exist? You know, science and magic, it, it, in a weird way, very much coincide with one another uh, because it, it's it's all about trial and error. It's all about practice. It's all about learning what works and and how everything functions around you. And I feel that given enough time and enough research, it is incredibly complex, but we could tap into these things and we can use them if we aren't already. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, the, the problem, the only problem that I have is I wish that I could prove things and, and disprove. I do too. Because I don't, like the the whole concept of this sh- of this show was to like document things, but it's kind of morphed into just talking about it with people and and getting their views. So so here's I, I remember where I was gonna go with the spirit guide thing. If that's okay, go for it. And this is gonna be weird. It's gonna be kind of weird. I don't I don't think I I've never heard anybody else talk about this on any other show or anything. Okay. So it's kind of a weird, and I've never thought about it until I brought it up with my last guest. So I was doing a regression, 
And it was the Marilyn Monroe lady who I think was either a, like what you said, a piece of Marilyn Monroe or was Marilyn Monroe. All she was actually seeing was walls all around her. And she said, my guide is telling me that I chose to forget for a reason. And me as the practitioner, my goal was to try to get her through the wall. Because a lot of the time you can, you can use mental imagery to open up a hole or open up a doorway or make a staircase to go over or a tunnel under, you know, there's endless it's, possibilities. It's, it's symbolism. Exactly. So you can, you can do this. And she couldn't because if she would get through one wall, like there was like layers of walls. So she was like, my, my guide's not going to let me see anything. And then here's something really interesting. I think that you're going to get a kick out of this too. Entertain me. Let me, let me, before we move on, let me ask you this question. Where do your thoughts come from Ashton in your brain? Like what part of your brain do your thoughts come from? mentally or like actually like where do you feel your thoughts in your brain right so just like focus on it and like think thoughts for a second and think about like okay where are my thoughts located on my head my thoughts are located kind of the middle of my skull but set back and somewhat lower does that like the middle of your brain no no like I, I just tapped my headphones like back here, kind of closer to the back of my head, but, but so like up central. back here in the back of your head. Yeah. Okay. So I was talking to my last guest and she said that her thoughts kind of come from, if I remember correctly, like the top of her head, like up here, my thoughts come from the base of my skull. That's where I feel. It's so weird to think about. Like, it's such a weird thing to, to think about. Okay, but where does important. this come from? <laughs> it's important. You'll, you'll, you'll see what I'm saying. Okay, now that we have context. Right, that's context. So my thoughts, they come, I feel them like almost at the base of my brain. And you know how you have like that like little wiggly line in the middle of your brain? Yes. I feel like they kind of just come up and like ride that wave. Woohoo. Right? And then, <laughs> so I know that it was like a weird tangent, but it's important. So... When I was doing, when I was doing this regression, all of a sudden I got a thought because I have this condition called aphantasia. I cannot visualize things when I close my eyes. I can't, I basically have no physical imagination. I can imagine things, but I can't see them. You get the concept. You don't get the, like you cannot materialize an apple in the back of your mind. Exactly. I can't, I can't do it. I, I physically cannot do it. I can't hear. I don't even have, this is going to probably sound weird to you. I don't even have a voice in my own head. Like, oh, I do. My internal monologue never shuts up. Yeah, most people's don't. But I don't even have, if I heard a voice in my head, I would freak I would freak out because I've never heard a voice in my head. But so my thoughts being located kind of like at the bottom part of my brain, that's kind of where I feel like they come from. Maybe sometimes up here at the top of the back. like That's kind of where mine are. It's the back or the bottom of my brain in the middle. So I had this thought kind of, it felt like it was just like, like someone took a stamp mm-hmm. and did it right on my forehead, right across my forehead from left to right and it said, bring her out. There's nothing for her here. And the reason I, I talked to you about where my thoughts come from is because my thoughts have never felt like they've come from the, my forehead ever. 
not once in my entire life. And it was really confusing. It was really, really weird. And I, it, since it was in my own brain, I kind of thought that it was from me, but like analyzing it, where my thoughts actually come from is not the front of my forehead and it felt unnatural. Yeah. Um, actually whenever I get insight and, and advice, so to speak from my spirit guide, uh, it, it always comes from this part of my, of my mind. I actually, from my, from my right temple, uh, or, or that area above the eye where I typically see the entity from. Uh, and I was in a situation when I was about 11, uh, with my abuser who, who was making intentions and, and kind of setting the stage for an abusive situation. Uh, and I went into the kitchen and per my, my spirit guide's advice, I put a knife to his throat, a kitchen knife to his throat, which is why I know it's not a guardian angel. It's a little bit too violent for that. Um, but it, it was a very distinct, like, F him up, like threaten him, kill him. Like you, you do not tell him you are not effing around anymore. And I did. And everything stopped after that. That that one moment, it was like, you, you don't get to do this. And it was a very invasive, uh, mine feel like ice picks. Not a stamp, it's a damn ice pick. And it is not pleasant, but it's not painful. It's just very direct. It's very sharp. And it's, it's, it's clear, concise to the point. It's like the way that my last guest described it was she said that sometimes like, and she was talking to this like ancient entity, she said, or she claimed, and that it, it was like scratching words into her brain, but she, it was, there was no pain, but it felt like the sensation of someone scratching. So is it like the sensation of ice picks with no pain? Yeah. Okay. It, it, it feels like somebody is stabbing a thought into my head. But it's always from the same spot. And uh, for, 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 for context, I'm neurodivergent. My brain is the equivalent of that SpongeBob episode where everything's on fire in his head and they're all running around. It's like, what about my wife and children? That is the inside of my mind. Is, is it's complete chaos. There's no system. I go from point A to point A, eight and a half, which aren't even related very quickly. And to have a, a clear, concise, very to the point thought with a capital T injected into my skull is out of character. And it is incredibly, that's not mine. Yeah, and that's why I brought up like where your thoughts come from. Does that make sense now? Yeah. It's probably yeah. weird when I first brought it up, but but it's it's important, I think, because I've never heard anybody else talk about this before. And there might have been people who have. I I have I don't look read or watch everything. But like if if I ever get a thought coming from a different part of my brain than where I know my thoughts are, it's it's I'm gonna pay a little bit more attention. Cause that was the first time it's ever happened. Like the thought was bring her out. There's nothing for her here. Yeah. It's when you work and, and I feel like you're, you're on kind of the tip of an iceberg here. Um, being not incredibly like green in this situation or in this world, but still being very new, uh, kind of a fledgling situation. 
Um, I feel like the more that you get into this, into this world of pseudosciences and, and magic and past lives and energy and healings and, you know, all the, all the woo-woo jazz, hocus pocus, or whatever have you, I feel like the, the more you'll be able to recognize what's yours, what, what isn't yours, what's intuition, what's, what are these patterns I'm rambling. <laughs> no, you're not. You're good. I, I know what you're saying. I kind of, I kind of want to, I want to tip the iceberg over, but I don't want to be in the iceberg. I want to be on a boat outside the iceberg. I, I want to, I want to talk to people who are already in the iceberg, but I want to kind of stay on the outside of the iceberg. This thing is huge. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> oh, I know. There's a lot to it. I mean, if you think about it, it's like there's near death, there's NDEs where people have died and been resuscitated. There's past lives, there's ghosts, there's magic like you, there's psychics, there's interdimensional. And then apparently, like I said, I don't know how much I buy all this stuff, but apparently there's even like the alien conversation. I know somebody who is absolutely convinced that they are an alien from the planet Nibiru, uh, which is lost planet X and has told me and, and is absolutely full 100% convinced that their ex-boyfriend took them through a mirror to the planet Nibiru. And I think that that is on one part of one part of me says that that's total hogwash and you really need to stop the drugs. But the other part of me is like, okay, but what if that's legit? <laughs> because that would be pretty cool. I need to get this person on my show. Uh, they are on a lot of act. They, they are on a lot of psychedelics and it very well could have been the drugs. It probably was the drugs. I I I don't know. I don't know because I wasn't there. I didn't see it. And who's to say that the drugs didn't unlock a part of their brain that walked them f- and enabled them to have this experience? I don't know. I don't know how this stuff works. Yeah, I actually I actually have I've had this conversation on this show before about psychedelics. And I provided some resources so everybody check those out. See if it's possible to visit the planet Nibiru by taking shrooms in a, in the mirror dimension. You got to take the mirrors. See if the mirror thing is legit. <laughs> awesome. Well, Ashton, is there anything else that you would like to to leave my audience, or any advice you would give people if they want to start into this world or this um, library of religions? Yeah. Take uh take kind of some of the the daily rituals that you have making coffee make or unlocking doors um getting dressed in the morning take some of those daily rituals that you have and attach them to a a, a similar spiritual or 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 desired intention uh for example when you make your coffee in the morning think about how you want it to wake you up how you want it to taste good and and help you enjoy your day. Pour pour some of the water with intention into your coffee cairn and and really put a symbolism behind that experience. And just watch what happens. Like I I I'm not going to say that it's going to absolutely change your life immediately because magic cannot defy the natural law. But 
it is still very fascinating to see the parts of your brain that it unlocks. That's all that there is. It's it's just fancy symbolism. That's great. Well, thank you very much for coming on to my show and talking about a little bit about your world. I'll totes do it again. <laughs> Sounds good. Can't see the finger guns, but they were there. That's it for today's episode. I'd like to extend a warm thank you to my good friend Ashton for coming on to the show. And I would also like to thank you for tuning in. As always, some links and resources to some of the stuff that Ashton and I talked about in this episode can be found in the episode's description. It can also be found probably in the YouTube link for this episode. And I'm going to start posting it all to my Twitter, but, you know, cut me some slack. (laughs) If you've had a past life experience or a near-death experience or a spiritual awakening or if you just want to come on the show and talk about your spiritual views reach out to me shoot me an email my email is the regression session at gmail.com and i would love to have you on the show Love, I love